Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Standing Strong in Trying Times, a study of the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel gives stories of faithful believers standing strong in trying times of exile and visions of the ultimate victory of God's kingdom over the kingdoms of this world. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's word in your life today. We're going to go ahead and dive into Daniel chapter 12. It's going to be the conclusion to our series of Daniel. We'll be reading uh, all 13 verses. This chapter is a little shorter than some of the others. And uh, it'll be up here on the screen. It's also along in your booklet, and you can follow along in your Bibles. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 to 13, the whole chapter. Hear now the word of the eternal God. At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress, such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there before me stood two others, one on this bank of the river and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time, when the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will be the outco outcome of all this be? And he replied, go your way, Daniel, because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days you will rise and receive your allotted inheritance. May God bless the reading of his word. So, we are at the end. Uh, Daniel 12 is the end of the final vision that's run from the beginning of chapter 10 all the way through. And it's also the conclusion to the entire book. And actually, both of them are somewhat wrapped up here. And it points us as well to the time of the end of the age that Daniel has been dealing with throughout the book and also the end of all ages, as we will see. 
and it helps to tie up the whole book. Now, I'm not going to be able to explain everything. I actually take comfort from the fact that even the angels in this chapter have questions they're not sure about. Daniel says, even he asks, the Lord explains things, and Daniel says, I still don't get it. And God says, don't worry about it. So, so if there's things that we don't understand, we can take comfort from the fact that the prophet didn't understand everything, and even the angels didn't understand everything, but we can understand the key things. You know, like in the song we were just singing, you know, I'm not skilled to understand what, you know, God has done, what he has planned, but, but I know this, Jesus is at the right hand, right? So this is what we're going to be seeing today in the book. So let's dive into Daniel chapter 12. Now notice like everything else we've seen, this is dealing with a time of great distress for God's people. We call this whole series Standing Strong and Trying Times because it's been trying times throughout the book from the very first verse when the exile began. And we'll see chapter 12 continues that way. In fact, it begins with chapter 12 by pointing forward, and this must have been a shock to Daniel, where he reads uh, in verse 1, there will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. So you got to understand, Daniel has lived through the exile. He's now an old man. He would have thought everything was going to get better, but he's being told what we're actually talking about here in Daniel chapter 12 is going to be a distress that is greater than anything you have lived through. It's going to be a distress greater than anything, in fact, anyone in your people has ever lived through. Now, many people look at this and they immediately jump and say, okay, Daniel has jumped forward to the very end of time, and he's going to be dealing with the Antichrist and the second coming of Christ, uh, the return of Christ. And we're going to see that there are applications to our time and to the end, but that's not really what he's talking about. As we're going to see in just a moment, Daniel's back dealing with the end of the Old Covenant era as he has been throughout the book. And so anything to deal with what is future to you and I is actually only a secondary application, not the primary meaning. Now, why do I say this? First off, remember just as we've gone through Daniel, throughout this book, we've had this recurrent set of themes. You remember in Daniel chapter two, way at the beginning of the book, Nebuchadnezzar has a vision and there are four kingdoms. And those four kingdoms, you remember, were Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire, Greece, and Rome. And there is no fifth kingdom. There's nothing off that's still futurized. It was those four kingdoms, and it dealt with until the coming of Christ, the great stone that was going to come and strike the statue, and then he would grow to be a mighty mountain that would fill the earth, which Jesus told us happens from his first coming to his second coming throughout this entire age. And so in Daniel chapter 2, there's those four kingdoms concluding with ancient Rome. When we go to Daniel chapter 7, Daniel's given a vision and he sees four beasts that represent the exact same four kingdoms. It is the kingdoms beginning with Babylon and ending with ancient Rome. In Daniel chapter 8, we zoom in and everything is about the second and the third kingdom and deals especially with the, the man that we discussed, Antiochus Epiphanes, who is going to come around 170, a, uh, 170 BC and who was considered to be a type of Antichrist. And then in Daniel chapter 9, you remember Daniel prays and at the end of it, he's given another vision 
And in verses 20 to 27, it speaks of the coming of Christ, the destruction of the temple during the fourth kingdom, ancient Rome. But it was all about ending there with 70 AD. Then in the final vision, in Daniel chapter 10 and the, and the majority of chapter 11, it's dealing again with the second and third kingdom, mainly dealing again with Antiochus Epiphanes, who's kind of a, a picture of the Antichrist. But then it turns, and given what we've already seen in every other vision, we should expect it's going to turn to the fourth kingdom. Not to something far off in the future, but Daniel's going to recapitulate what has already been given in every other vision, chapter 2, chapter 7, uh, 8 and 9 combined, and now in 10 to 12, we're going to see things about uh, what's happening during the time of the fourth kingdom, which is ancient Rome. But it's not only because of Daniel. When we come to the New Testament, and this is important, when you're reading your Old Testament, the first question to ask yourself is, does the New Testament tell me what this passage means? Because if it does, then you know what it means. And anything else would be secondary. The primary thing is what the New Covenant says. Well, we're going to see in just a moment, Jesus quotes a bunch from Daniel chapter 12. And he tells us that it is actually about 70 AD, the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem, the end of the Old Covenant era, and then, you know, stretching forward into our time. So now why I say this is, I'm going to take these verses out of uh, Mark chapter 13, but Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21 are all the same discussion. It's near the end of Jesus' ministry. He has finished, it's at the end of, of Holy Week, it's really right before he's going to be betrayed, and Jesus makes statement regarding the temple in every one of these. I'm going to use the verses out of Mark. But they're all in reference to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. Evangelicals today, we like to pull it forward and we're, we're looking for, I wonder if earthquakes are increasing. Well, it's not talking about our day. It's talking about prior to 70 AD. Why do I say that? Look what Jesus says. Jesus is walking through the temple and the disciples are all like, these buildings are amazing. This temple is so awesome. And in verse 2 of Mark 13, Jesus says, Do you see all these great buildings? Uh, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now, you've got to imagine, if you're a disciple, this is astounding statement coming from Jesus. The whole temple's going to get destroyed? So, if you were the disciples, what might your question be? When? Which is exactly what their question is. Notice in verse 4. Tell us when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? What things? The destruction of the temple. What things are about to be fulfilled? The destruction of the temple, which is the end of the Old Covenant era. And so everything in Mark chapter 13 is answering this question. Jesus didn't say, I know you're asking about that, but I'm going to go off and ramble on about a completely different topic without telling you that's what I'm doing. He's answering their question. When will this be? And notice how he answers it is he continually goes back to Daniel chapter 12. So for example, remember we, we already saw in verse 1, there will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. Jesus in answering 
When's this going to happen? What are the signs? Jesus says in Mark 13, 19, those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. Okay? He's, he's referencing back to Daniel chapter 12 for them. He's saying that, he's using a proverbial saying, look, there's never been anything like this. Now, people sometimes wonder and say, well, how can you say the destruction of Jerusalem then, which was terrible, over a million people died, but what about the Holocaust? You need to understand, it's not just about the particular number of people or any of that. What we are talking about is this is unequaled because the temple is going to be destroyed the old covenant is going to be ended as judgment is going to be brought on this generation and it's brought on them for covenant disobedience down through the ages in matthew chapter 23 this is right before you remember jesus pronounces seven woes says your house the temple is left desolate right before and then he goes in and says not one stone's going to be left upon another and all the things we're talking about but he is speaking to the people, and here's the final woe. And so upon you, the people he's speaking to, um, will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon who? This generation now here's why now notice what jesus is saying there's a final woe upon those in israel who refuse to receive god's provision and god's promises and we don't necessarily get all of this but notice so if if you say all the blood that's been shed from righteous abel somebody help me out where's abel where's the story of abel what book where's that occur in your bible the very first book. Now, this is where we need to understand the Hebrew Bible. What's the last book of the Old Testament or Old Covenant? It's actually 2 Chronicles. And the last person killed in 2 Chronicles is Zechariah. He's the last one. Jesus is saying, everyone that's been killed, every martyr that is recorded in your scriptures, all of them the blood for them is going to be required of you. And why? He says, notice, he says, you killed Zechariah. Zechariah had been killed hundreds of years before this. But Jesus says, you're going to be held accountable. Why? Because I have sent to you prophets and wise men and holy men, and you rejected them and you rejected them. And God said, surely if I send my son, they'll respond. But how does this obstinate people respond? Oh, this is the heir. Let's rise and kill him. Remember, Jesus told the parable that final week to tell them exactly this. And so he says, all of this is going to come upon you. This is why it's the time of distress. Because they are being held accountable for the covenant disobedience of God's people. But notice, it's not everybody. God promises that he's going to deliver his true people. Notice at the end of verse 1, you know, there's going to be this time of distress, but at that time, your people, and notice how they're identified, not your people, those who are physically descended and have the same genetic type material, you do. no, that's not the point, your people, everyone whose name is found written in what? The book. Everybody whose name is in the book, the book of life, 
they are going to be delivered. Because see, if this is such a terrible time, how would anybody survive? Well, God has marked off his people, and his people are going to be delivered. Jesus, similarly in Mark chapter 13, says, Look, if the Lord had not cut short those days, they're so terrible that if the Lord had not cut it short, no one would survive. But for the sake of who? The elect um, whom God has chosen he has shortened them. See, this is everyone whose name is written in the book of life. God is saying, this is a terrible time. It's coming. But I want you to know, I have those who are mine. And so even though all of this is coming upon apostate Israel, there are those within Israel that are actually Israel. They are actually mine. And every one of them are going to be delivered. And this is meant to be comfort for God's people because this is a scary thing for Daniel to hear. It's a scary thing for anybody living in that generation to hear. But there's even more coming because it's not only uh, that that has happened. Uh, Daniel speaks of the abomination of desolation. So notice at the end, this is at the end of the chapter in Daniel chapter 12 verse 11. He says, from the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days, which is about three and a half years. Jesus references this in Mark chapter 13. He says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now the phrase abomination, or the words abomination and desolation occur in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, which we looked at before. They occur in Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, in reference to what Antiochus Epiphanes was going to do. And then in Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. But, and I looked this up, Jesus quotes exactly, word for word, Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. So he's, he's making it clear all of them are background, but it's Daniel chapter 12, verse 11 that he's talking about uh, because he quotes it exactly. And that's true whether you look at Mark's gospel or you look at Matthew's gospel. It is a word-for-word -word quote from Daniel chapter 12. So the abomination that causes desolation was going to be when the temple was being destroyed, when Jerusalem was being destroyed, when the old covenant era is coming to an end, because that's what Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 13. And Luke, I mentioned this when we went through Daniel chapter 9, Luke interprets it for us. That's why he doesn't quote it word for word, because he interprets it for we Gentiles who aren't quite so familiar with our Old Testament. And Luke records it this way in Luke 21, beginning at verse 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you'll know that its desolation is near. See, what he's saying is, here's the abomination of desolation. When you see the Roman armies coming and surrounding the place, it's here. The time has happened. This is the sign that everything is being fulfilled. And notice what he says. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. Now here's what's interesting. Early Christians read this and as the Roman army approached Jerusalem, everybody was trapped. But then suddenly the Roman commander backed off a bunch of unbelieving Jews went into the city. All the Christians fled. Why? 
because Jesus had told them the abomination that causes desolation is when the Roman army shows up. And when it shows up, do not go into the city. Get out of the city. Get out of Judea. And they did. They went and they fled to a place named Pella where they stayed until all of this was over. And therefore, the church survived this great desolation. God was keeping everyone whose name was written in the book of life. Jesus also says, look, it's important as my people, you must endure to the end to be saved. In Daniel chapter 12, it says in verse 12, blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. And we're not sure exactly why is there an extra 45 days added. Everybody looks around and tries to figure out. We're not certain exactly, except for it's saying, after even the tribulation itself is finished, there's still an extended period of time, and you need to persevere right to the end. Don't give up until you cross the finish line, so to speak. Notice how Jesus says this in Mark 13, 13. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. See, he's quoting out of Daniel chapter 12. This is not that you and I are saved by works or whatever else. He's saying you have to make, don't miss. I'm telling you what's going to happen. Don't miss that it's going to happen. Stay there and hold on to the end. If you want to read another note about this, it's called the book of Hebrews. This is what the entire book of Hebrews is about. It's, that book is written shortly before the great tribulation starts, shortly before the temple is going to be destroyed. And all of them are suffering. They are being persecuted. And at the time, all you have to do is say, I'm not a Christian. I'm actually just a regular old Jew. And Rome says, not a problem. Because, see, Nero had started killing Christians, but they were doing nothing to the Jews. But the writer to Hebrews is saying, don't go back. Do not do that. Don't you understand that the old covenant is done and what is obsolete and aging is about to disappear. Do not go back. Stand firm. Stay. Stay to the end. So Jesus is quoting every one of these that I've just given. It's coming right out of Daniel chapter 12. And he's telling us what it refers to. So it's not primarily about your future or mine. It's primarily to warn the people of God what was going to come during the time of the fourth kingdom and what was going to happen there, that there was going to be the end of the old covenant era, the judgment upon those who rejected God's covenant Messiah, and the utter desolation of Jerusalem and the temple. But with that said, this does have application to you and me. It's not just a history lesson. There is uh, a lesson here for us regarding the future. Now, why do I say this? Again, let's consider the entire book of Daniel. Remember that there have been repeating patterns. So you remember in Daniel chapter 3, we, we saw chapter 2 and chapter 7 give us the same message. Chapter 3 and chapter 6 also do. In chapter 3, we see under the Babylonian ruler Nebuchadnezzar that if you are faithful to God, where are you thrown? Into the fire, right? You're thrown to the fire. Well, we get now Persia comes. Babylon is gone. The, the Persians are going to be restoring us. We've already been told by Isaiah they're going to restore us to the promised land. Surely everything will be better, right? What happens to Daniel in chapter 6? He's thrown to the lions. New boss, same as the old boss. 
It doesn't matter whether it's Babylon or Persia. And then he's going to tell us in Daniel chapter 8, guess what? Antiochus Epiphanes is coming and he's going to make you long for the days of Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to make you long for the days of Persia. Because the pattern continues over and over again. So in Daniel chapter 7, we're told about the little horn. Uh, who speaks blasphemies against God. As I said, I, I believe that that is speaking of the Roman Caesars, particularly Nero, who starts the slaughter of the people of God. But the amazing thing is we find out in Daniel chapter 8, Antiochus Epiphanes is called a little horn. Not because he's the same guy, but because he's saying, don't you understand, yes, there's going to come the little horn in the fourth kingdom, but there are little horns in the third kingdom. There were little horns in the second kingdom. You can expect these type of people who will press against God and his people over and over again. So in Daniel chapter 9, we see the abomination of desolation in verses 20 to 27, which is dealing with 70 AD. But in Daniel chapter 11, we're told Antiochus is going to do his own abomination that causes desolation. Not because it's gotten confused in the time. It's just saying, don't you understand? These aren't one-time events. They are recurring patterns. The troubles that Daniel had to live through recurred in the different kingdoms. And the message he's given for the future has these troubles re uh, recurring through the different kingdoms because they're not a single event, but rather a repeating pattern that happens over and over again. So should you and I expect difficulty? Yes, you're in exile. And it doesn't matter whether it's the second kingdom, the third kingdom, the fourth kingdom, or if this is the 92nd kingdom. The patterns repeat because they're all part of the spirit of Antichrist. And the Apostle John actually tells us this in 1 John chapter 2. Verse 18, John says this, a pretty astounding verse. And by the way, only John uses the phrase antichrist. People banner out like it's all over the Bible. It's actually only in the writings of John. And he says this in 1 John 2, 18. Dear children, this is the last what? Hour. Okay, so if John was writing 2,000 years ago and it was the last hour, are we in the last days? Are we in the last hour? It's been the last hour. It's not going to get any more the last hour. From the time of Christ, we've been in the last hour. And so he says, we're in the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. John says, look, just look around you. The spirit of the Antichrist is out and active and at work. This isn't about something that's going to happen far off in the future. It's already here. It's already active. The focus isn't about some future Antichrist. There are many Antichrists that are already loose in the world. And so the spirit of Antichrist is active throughout this age. So in the New Testament, there is a whole stream of teaching that talks about what we should expect throughout the last age, the age in which we live. Consider this, 1 Timothy 4.1. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. 
2 Timothy chapter 3. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. This isn't talking about, oh, 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 he means that last three years. No, the entire last days, friends, the whole time. This is what we should expect. Jude writes it this way. But dear friends, this is verse 17 and 18 of Jude. Dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. I could bring up teachings from Peter to show the same thing and throughout the New Testament. Paul says it, Peter says it, Jude says it. This was constant teaching. You notice they keep saying, this is what the apostles have been telling us. This is what you should expect. There are going to be deceiving things. They're going to pull people away. They're going to try and lure us out of the faith, which is exactly what Daniel was warning about. And there's going to be trouble for the people of God. So Paul gives this wonderful promise to us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. It's a favorite of most Christians. In fact, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will experience their best life now. Is that what it says? See, no, that's what it says when you sell millions of books. But what the Spirit says is, if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. How can Paul say that this is going to be the case? Because he's saying the spirit of Antichrist is loose. We're living in the days that, I mean, Daniel told us all this is just a pattern that goes over and over and over again. So the examples and visions of Daniel are applicable to our age because we too are exiles, living in a world that is hostile to God, to his gospel, and to his kingdom. So it doesn't have to be that, oh, Daniel was writing, and it was about 2025, and I figured, no, no it's not. It was, it was about 70 AD, but the pattern we can expect to follow, because whether it's Nebuchadnezzar, or whether it's even Cyrus who's going to send the exiles back, you're still going to end up in the lion's den. It is the reality. Now, that's a pretty depressing message, isn't it? Everybody really glad they came here this morning? Geez, Brett, I could have stayed in bed and been better off than this. But I want you to see Daniel in this chapter offers ultimate hope. And it's the same hope, actually, Tony brought up uh, at the end of our, our time of singing and worship this morning. In verse 2, right after he's heard about this great persecution that's coming, but those whose names are written in the book of life will be delivered, Daniel hears this, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Some to everlasting life, and others to shame and everlasting contempt. And then at the end, when Daniel said, I still don't understand everything, God tells him, as for you, go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. At the beginning of the chapter and at the end of the chapter is a promise of resurrection from the dead. The great tribulation is going to come. The Romans are going to come and destroy the temple. These guys are going to be repeated down through history. But know this, at the end of all days, 
I'm going to shout and people are going to come out of the dust. You are going to arise and what you're going to receive, Daniel, is your inheritance. Nebuchadnezzar can't stop it. Belshazzar cannot stop it. Cyrus cannot stop it. Antiochus Epiphanes cannot stop it. Nero, Diocletian, you name them all. None of them can stop it. When I stand and shout, out of the dust you will come. That's the message that God gives to him. And notice, this is imperative for us because one of the things that we're understanding here in Daniel chapter 12 is that death, not Babylon, not Persia, not Rome, not even the Antichrist, death is the ultimate enemy. Because it doesn't matter. See, if death was not the ultimate enemy, then just side with the bad guys. Whoever in power, I just get on their side and I'll get to live a little bit longer. Because if at the end of it all, Jesus can't conquer death, then you better get what you got now. You only live once. But see, the message of the scripture is you only live once is wrong. You live twice. You live in this age, which is but a blip, a mist, the blink of an eye, and then you're going to live forever. As Daniel puts it, in, or as he's told in verse 2, you're going to either live with everlasting life or everlasting contempt. It's one or the other. And so this is meant to be an encouragement to Daniel. He's like, I thought at the end of the exile, everything was going to be better. And now I'm looking all the way down. There's all these other kingdoms coming. And then, oh my gosh, the last kingdom is going to be wiping everything out. Where's the hope? The hope is it does not matter even if you're put to death because death will not have the last word. I will speak and out of the dust you will come. So Jesus expands on this in his teaching as well. In John chapter 5, Verses 28 and 29, Jesus says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves, sleeping in the dust, will hear his voice and come out. Those who've done good will rise to live, and those who've done evil will rise to be condemned. Notice it's the same words. They're in the graves of their dust. They're all arising, some to blessing and life, others specifically to contempt. To punish the same exact terms and words that were used in Daniel. And so Jesus here is stating the time is going to come in the future. This is the same Jesus who stands at Lazarus's tomb and does it for Lazarus. He says, I'm going to speak, and when I speak, the dead will come forth. Now, we need to hear at the end of the book of Daniel, we've been with Daniel, and he stood before some powerful kings. And he's seen the power of their words. They can say, throw those people into the fire. And into the fire you go. He's also seen that God can say, bring them back out of the fire. And there's nothing that king can do about it. A king can say, throw them into the lion's den. These kings can rise up and do things. But none of them could stop death. Every one of those kings came and every one of those kings went. But Jesus is saying, as powerful as the word of Nebuchadnezzar or Alexander or Antiochus or name the Roman Caesar is, I have the ultimate power. One day I rise off my throne, I shout, 
and everyone comes forth. Everyone comes forth. That is the powerful word. And so Daniel has received this word, but friend, the much more important thing is one day every one of us are going to hear the powerful word. Daniel's glory is not going to be, I heard and got all these visions and I heard that powerful word. It's going to be that every one of us says, oh, I was laying in the grave and I heard the word and I came out. Now, how do we apply this? What's interesting in this chapter and it really kind of lays out with the book of Daniel, and even going back to when we discussed the two ways earlier in the year with Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. There's two responses to God in this chapter and two destinies. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 10, it says, Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. So notice there's again a chiasm here. It starts with those who are wise and are purified, and it ends with those who are wise and are purified. And in the middle, you have two statements regarding the wicked. Number one, they continue to be wicked. And number two, they do not understand. So there's these two groups, the wise and the wicked. Now, it's kind of interesting. We might have thought the righteous and the wicked but what we're told here is it's actually the wise and the wicked, and it's not because they both start with W because they don't in Hebrew. Um, there's two groups and two destinies, and it's because, friends, the issue for you and I is not about our righteousness. It's about whether one has the wisdom to hear and respond to God. So notice, the wise understand the truth of God. They understand his word and his kingdom, and they walk with him. And as they walk, they are going through trials in this world. And those trials are uh, purifying and refining them as they're going through these fiery trials in life. But they know that at the end, they will be raised. They know that at the end, everyone whose name is written in the book of life will be raised delivered. That is the wise. The, the wise are those whose name is written in the book. Remember, go back to Daniel 1. So we've got the very first and last verse here in the chapter, right at the beginning and the end. We've got, at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. See, the people of God are not determined by their own wisdom or their own righteousness, but rather by embracing Christ in faith. What determines us is not that I'm more righteous than somebody else. The wise are delivered from death, not because of their strength or their wisdom, but because Christ has defeated death and gives his righteousness and his victory to them. That's the message, that's the hope. But see, what the wicked say is they refuse to submit to God and his rule, proclaiming they would rather rule in hell than submit in heaven. You've all heard that phrase, right? I'd rather rule in hell than be a servant in heaven. Well, friends, you might get your wish, but you are not going to like what you get. Okay, see, that is the ultimate in arrogance. And so God here says... Notice in verse 10, many are going to be purified, made spotless, and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. They do not understand. 
The wicked are those who prefer their sin to God's righteousness. And they prefer autonomy, self-rule. I'm a law unto myself rather than submitting to God and his ways. And so this is what uh, separates them out. So the wicked refuse to hear, refuse to receive, and refuse to submit to God's word, and thus they fail to understand reality. Do you ever look around and watch people today and feel like going up and saying, what universe are you living in? I mean, there are things going on today that I look at and they're like, you know, why, why are you saying that? Because I live in this cosmos <laughs> and I'm in touch with reality, which apparently you're not. If, if you're not experiencing that, friend, we need to talk afterwards. It's all around us. But see, that's because the wicked don't understand. They don't understand the, the fundamental reality of the universe is the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The fundamental reality of the universe is He rules all things. Everything comes from Him, everything exists through Him, and everything is going back to Him. But our age says, yeah, we, we're going to live life and not consider any of that. That's insane. That is, that is actually the definition of insanity. The fundamental reality, in fact, of the universe, we're going to try and ignore. But that's what Daniel tells us. The wicked are not going to understand because they don't want to understand. And consider, you know, think about the people in that generation that Jesus pronounced a curse upon. I mean, after everything that he had said and done, and they put him to death, and then the guys come and say, yeah, so we were there, and this angel showed up and rolled the stone away, and Jesus is not there, and the response of those people was to fall down and worship, right? The response was to say, oh, he really was right. He really was who he said he was. Is that the response? No, 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 no. All right, look, we're going to pay some guys off. We're going to say that the disciples came and stole his body. Now, if you look at that and say, I just can't imagine people acting that way, you're not paying attention. People will poke their eyes out rather than see the truth. We will poke our eardrums out rather than hear the truth. And so the question is for you and me, have I embraced and submitted to God's word, to his kingdom, to God himself? And I want to urge you, whether you're here or whether you're listening, I urge you with everything. This is the central issue. Everything else is secondary. None of that other stuff matters. On that day, when he speaks and I rise out of the dust, is it to everlasting life? Is it to everlasting blessing? Is it to everlasting well done? Come and enter the joy of your Lord? Or is it to everlasting shame? Everlasting contempt? Everlasting depart from me? You want iniquity? You can have iniquity, and you will find you are eating down destruction. 
That's the only question that matters. Have I embraced Christ? If you have not, I urge you, embrace Christ. Now for us as believers, I want to urge us, what Daniel's telling us through this whole book is trust in God's sovereignty through this time of testing. Okay? If you say, Brett, when will the testing end? When we look and he's cracking through the sky or you breathe your last. Until then, the test will continue. Even remember, 1,290 days, yeah, well, there's another 45 after. And we're not exactly sure why, but they're, but they're there, and you got to go to the end of the 1335. We've got to endure through the time of testing. Don't, don't set up. There are many Christians right now that are struggling, and they can't figure things out because the whole world's just not wanting to follow Jesus and applaud for me as I do so. Go, go back and look at 2 Timothy 3. You've been promised they will not do that, so don't be surprised. But what we're to do in the meantime is to reach out to others with the gospel. Okay, notice here in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3, and then in Philippians chapter 2, and I'm not sure, I didn't really find any commentators brought this link up, and I'm not sure why, because Paul's clearly alluding to Daniel 12, 3. In Daniel 12, we're told, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So notice that there's the brightness of the heavens and the stars forever and ever, but also parallel is the wise, and the wise are those who lead many to righteousness. Paul, writing to the Philippians, and remember, the book of Philippians is much about suffering. There's a lot about suffering in Philippians, and Paul says this, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you do what? Hold out the word of life. Daniel chapter 12. Paul's saying, be wise. Shine like a star in the universe. Here's how you do that. In the midst of this crooked and depraved generation, it's not going to stop being crooked and depraved. No matter what goes on in Washington, D.C., no matter what went on in Rome, it's not going to stop being crooked and depraved. What we do is we hold out the word of life. And as we do so, Many people will say, no, get out of my face. I don't like this. They'll poke their eardrums out, gouge their eyes out. I don't want to see. And I'm not responsible for that. I keep holding out the word of life. Because here's the good news, many will respond. And you know how you can know so? Because you're sitting here this morning. Friend, you responded. <laughs> you're, you're not here because you were born this way. You were born stone cold dead, and so was I. But we responded to the gospel. I look back at Marvel. I mean, I, I wasn't raised in the Christian faith. My parents were very good parents and did a lot of things right. But I was not raised in the faith. It was later on, I stumbled into a Bible study, not because somebody held out the word of life, but because I, I had a girl that I was chasing after. That was my motive, which is about as bad a motive as you can possibly get. But Jesus said, I can work with this. And here I am, 43 years later, 
Okay, that's God is working. Our job, I can't convert anybody. I can't raise them, but you know what I can do? Like Ezekiel, I can speak to them dry bones. I can hold out the word of life. And they can slap it away, and that's okay. I pick it up, and I just hold it out to the next person. And there's going to be those who will respond. And friend, that is our call. And we do it because we remember this world is shadows. This world is fading. This world is passing. The kingdoms that live right now, they're going to fade away. I remind you, you know, what C.S. Lewis said in The Way to Glory, we get all caught up in this. The kingdoms, America, Rome, the British Empire, all of those, Lewis said, those kingdoms come and go. And compared to you and your neighbor, they're like a gnat. They're nothing. Because, friend, they're temporal. You are eternal. And so is everyone around us. They're eternal. The problem is, we think we got it all backwards in the shadow lands. We think the people who rule are something. We think those powers are going to last forever, and we're nothing. And we got it backwards. No, they're nothing. We're going to last forever. This around us is not more real and heaven's kind of ethereal out there. No, this is the shadow lands. We're heading to the reality. And the reality is back where we started this morning. A new heavens, a new earth, everything made new, everything right. And it is where there is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so we're going to come to the Lord's table. And I want to remind us that as we come, and this is true every week, but I want us to focus on it, this table is eschatological. That's kind of a big theological word, but that means it, it's the end. It's where everything goes. Eschatology is the study of where everything's going to head at the end. This table reminds us and points us forward because every week you come in here and you say, man, Nebuchadnezzar was dogging me this week. It was a mess. It was hard being an exile this week. And we get to come to the table and Jesus says, yeah, but there's a marriage supper coming. And on that day, I'm going to break the bread, Jesus says, and I'm going to feed you with my own hand. And whatever tear you had, I'm going to wipe away, and there'll be nothing but tears of joy from this point forward. No more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain. And every time we come to this table, he's saying, hang on, pilgrim, this is your future. Don't listen to the lies around you. Believe the future that is coming for you and me. And so I encourage you today, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are trusting in him alone for salvation, come to the table and receive grace and strength for your exile and receive the anchor of hope for where you are going. Just like Daniel, friends, you and I one day, should the Lord tarry, will sleep in the dust. But he will call, and we will rise, and we will rise to our full inheritance. 
live in light of the day where we're all sitting around that table. And you and I are going to hug each other and look and say, <laughs> we made it. Here we are. We reached the end of days. And it is better and more than I ever thought it would be. For what I received from the Lord, I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that all your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for your great promises. Lord, we thank you for your sustaining grace. Spirit of the living God, meet us at this table now that we may feast upon the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and we may be strengthened to live faithfully during these days of our exile and pilgrimage. We ask in Jesus' name. If you can go ahead and take the bread out of the container. Lord Jesus, as we have wound our way through the book of Daniel, Lord, we don't understand all things, but we do know this, that we have fallen short, but the hope that Daniel looked forward to and pointed us toward was you, O oh Jesus, coming, the Son of Man, who would be pierced, who would be broken for us and for our salvation. And so, Lord, we take this bread, symbol of your body, which was broken for us, and we receive it, saying, thanks be to God for the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take and eat. And, Lord, we take this cup, and I thank you, Jesus, that on that night when you were betrayed, you told us this was the cup of the new covenant. Lord, there was nothing wrong with the first covenant but us. Lord, we broke it time and time again. And so we thank you that, Jesus, you fulfilled the first covenant in our place to earn righteousness for us, and then you died upon the cross, shedding your blood to purify us from our sins. Lord, not just to cover them as the lamb of bulls and goats where we had to come back time and time and time again. But Lord, you died once for all. Your blood purified us now and forever so that we are spotless, pure, and clean. And Lord, we take this cup as a profession that our hope is not in our righteousness, but 
in the covenant that you have made with us and sealed by your blood, giving us the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Friends, let's stand together. And as always, I encourage you, cry out to me with, cry out with me for the Holy Spirit to be here and to empower us as we go forth. Spirit of the living God, you are the one who empowered Daniel and the other prophets to hear and receive and write down the very revelation of God. And you are the one who must give us understanding. Lord, we are grateful. We are here because you have opened our eyes to see. Lord, we do understand that kingdoms come and kingdoms go, but the kingdom of God is forever. Lord, we do understand that all of these other kings and presidents and rulers, Lord, they come and go, but Jesus is the eternal king, ruling and reigning over all things for the glory of God. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that we understand that by your power. Holy Spirit, we also know that we need you to empower us. Lord, we want to live faithfully during these days of our exile. Lord, we want to consistently hold out the word of life to those around us. And so, Lord, we are grateful, Holy Spirit, that we have been given you, not a spirit of fear or timidity, but of love and a power and of a sound mind, that we might understand, that we might be empowered to live righteously, that we might love even those who would turn against us. So come upon us, Spirit of the living God. Empower us. Fill us. Lord, work in and through us this week. Father, we pray that as we hold out the word of life, Father, we pray that as we point towards the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that they would hear and that they would respond and they would join in the joy as we walk towards that final day of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Lord, we thank you for hearing our prayer and we pray that you would do all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning I'm going to actually conclude with the doxology out of the book of Jude, but I encourage you to hear and receive it as a blessing from God. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Go forth blessed and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.